The Seinfeld season four premiere. The trip is over, but we are just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post show recap, a podcast about nothing season four. And now here are the two guys who have lots of ideas to improve. Cheers uh, or Sinsin, whatever you want to call it. Rob Sinsin and Akiva Winokur. Akiva, how are you? That was a great callback to an episode that probably nobody listened to. Nobody listened to. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So we are improving everything. Better than Suddenly Susan still. Or Veronica's Uh, Closet. Uh, Yeah. This compared to, uh, you know, we call this the podcast about nothing. Yes. Compared to the podcast we did yesterday, this this feels like it's about everything. The trip seems like it's, you know... uh, What's like the best episode in television history? Like the the lost episode where they you realize Locke can walk or I don't know. <laughs> the Vitamina Benjamin episode of I Love Lucy. Yes. Uh, did you wish that George Costanza ran into Dabney Coleman uh, promoting Madman of the People uh, backstage at the Jay Leno show? That would have been funny. I think it's the only NBC show ever that uh, had no Enrico Colantoni and <laughs> uh, Matthew... And uh, no, Dan Cortez and uh, uh, Chandler Bing did not make any appearances on Seinfeld. <laughs> no crossover appearance. Okay, so here we are. It's the start of season four on our Seinfeld podcast. And Akiva, how do you feel? Uh, I feel great. Um, you know, this is my busy season. You know, for a lot of people, it's almost April 15th. They have to worry about their taxes. For me, it's March Madness. That's really my busy season. Your busy season. That's that sounds. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to talk about all of our sleepers here for season four. And all of the uh, Cinderella's, right? Yeah, I would say Crazy Joe DiVolo is a 14 seed, but watch out for him. Watch out. He could make some noise. Okay, and here we are. We're going to talk about a two-part episode that kicked off season four. And Akiva, do you have any sort of backstory of why Seinfeld uh, did this in at this particular time? Yeah, so a couple things that are worth noting here. So um, the one strange thing that, that uh, stands out is that these episodes... Uh, filmed back, you know, were aired back-to-back weeks, August 12th and August 19th of 1992. Yes. Um, and obviously, it's it's very rare for a show, and Seinfeld at this point is like a, an established part of NBC's lineup, to have new episodes in August. Back then, it was unheard of. It was just reruns. Now they just put in, you know, filler, you know, reality shows and garbage and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the reason is, um, NBC had just aired the uh, Barcelona Olympics, Yes. And they re- they realize they you know if you run if you have the Olympics that end in early or mid August you can't really advertise your shows because uh, you know people will forget about them six weeks later by the time they start so they moved Seinfeld so they could advertise for Seinfeld during the Olympics and then show these you know this epic two part uh, you know episode right after the uh, the Barcelona Barcelona Olympics were over yeah. And this whole segment is written by Larry Charles, who really is the architect, uh, not marine biologist, of this three-part episode. And his fingerprints, uh, much like those of the smog strangler, are all over uh, this uh, episode. Yeah, um, even before you watch this, if you, even if you're just a listener to this podcast, you will recognize, I think, this is a Larry Charles episode without checking it up. Yeah. I mean... It is. It is over the top. It is crazy. It has. It feels like a Larry Charles episode. It is dark. Uh, starting, yeah, it's very dark. It's the darkest episode so far. You know, they continue to make light of you know death and murder, and it it, it is it is the probably the quintessential Larry Charles episode. Yes, uh, there are sort of like film noir elements of like you know forties cop talk that go on in the episode. Uh, yeah, very. I, I did like the cop talk. I think. 
you know, over the top cop talk, you know, very dark, dingy situations in L.A. They really, you know, are trying to highlight like the, you know, the the downside of, you know, going to L.A. and trying to make it famous. Yes. All right. So, Akiva, before we get into talking about the trip, is there any Seinfeld news from this week? Uh, yes. So I've got two things that are pretty, you know, connected. They're both about Seinfeld uh, in the news for rights fees. The first one, Rob, I don't know if you saw this. Roger McDowell, allegedly the second spitter, who's the pitching coach for the hated Atlanta Braves, told a Atlanta writer recently that every time his Seinfeld episode airs, do you want to guess how much he makes? I want to say it's like 12 cents. $13.52. Oh, okay. That adds up. Yeah, it really does because, you know, they aired on, on TBS and on, you know, on a network TV and reruns Fox, or I guess it depends on where you live. And so if Roger McDowell, who is in one scene, makes $13.50, like what is, you know, what does Newman make? And, and forget about that. What does, you know, Elaine and Kramer and George make? And what does Keith Hernandez make? Yeah, I mean, Hernandez, does it go by scene? Like I, I, if there's someone out there who has any idea, I'd be fascinated. I don't think it goes by scene. Right. So McDowell, just by getting credited as a guest star, gets the same as Hernandez, probably. Probably, if I had to guess. But what do, what do the actors make? Because if I had to guess right now, I would say that like Elaine, forget about Jerry, because he owns a big part of the show. But Elaine, Kramer and George must make like hundreds of thousands of dollars a year just on these fees, just well, on the check. Yeah, it comes down to the contract. Did they get points? You want to have points? No they, they, no, they don't have points. They don't have, they don't have a point? That, no, I know they don't because it was a big point of contention. Piece. Do they have a piece. They don't have a piece or a point. They don't have it, a piece it, or a point. No, gotta have a. You gotta. That's a bad contract. You gotta get either a point, and if you can't get a point, you need a piece. Uh, Jackie Child should have been their lawyer. He would have. <laughs> he would have gotten them. This the is outrage. It, yes. it is crazy. So that's why the the DVDs didn't come out right away because they realized they had gotten screwed. By they, I mean everyone but Jerry. Uh, so they held out for like a big percentage of the DVDs, which I'm sure at first made them a killing, but now probably isn't great. Now business. they're really marked down. Yeah, but I would say I, there's no way they don't they still don't make hundreds of thousands of, of dollars still on the uh, rights fees because, you know, this show is on, you know, what, eight times a night. If you if you some nights, if you include TBS and yes. syndication. Yeah. Uh, and, and so connected is our second news story. I don't know if you saw this, Rob, um, so, but someone emailed it to us. And a few people tweeted at me, thank you, that uh, Seinfeld is now being uh, the rights to the on-demand, uh, digital on-demand for Seinfeld are being uh, sold. Yes, I saw that, but not to Netflix. No, Netflix has already passed. And uh, the three main buyer, uh, bidders seem to be Yahoo, uh, who have, did a horrible job with the SNL uh, clips. I don't know if you've, seen, if you've seen that, but they really messed those up. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully they won't get them in Hulu. Our yes. friends of Hulu, Hulu and Plus. then uh, and Amazon. So the Forbes article I'm reading says that uh, it's north of of uh, 500,000 episodes. So over 90 million dollars uh, is what the bidding is up to right now. Okay, so we'll see exactly how much uh, Jason Alexander, Julie Louis Dreyfus, and Michael Richards uh, are going to get on that. Yeah, I don't know if they're getting piece or, a piece or points on that. Yes, you would hope so. Probably uh, Michael Richards and Jason Alexander holding out for the uh, points in the piece a little more so than Julie Louis-Dreyfus. Yeah, I mean, they made, listen, money is money, but they, they made so much money on the show, um, you know, that they can't really complain. Like, I, I would imagine they're still, they're still set for life, but 
that, that's got it. That's got to irk them a little bit because Jerry and George, Jerry and uh, and Larry still get probably you know nine figures a year of Seinfeld syndication. Okay, well, let's not uh, spend too much time on that. Let's uh, let's start to uh, jump into the trip. We've got a two-part episode to talk through here today. And Akiva, we're at the start of season four. I thought this would be a great time to remind people that they could subscribe to our Seinfeld podcast. We are just getting started on what some say is the best season of Seinfeld, Akiva. Uh, yeah, I, you know, again, there are lists that have this episode as the number one uh, this season as the number one season in television history. Wow. Um, say this episode. I, not just this, not this episode, the whole season. I, I would be very interested to hear your take at the end of this season. And then really, I guess, have something to gauge it to because I think it's certainly better than season three. Because um, uh, I don't want to spoil it, but season four might not even be my favorite season. Uh, so there will be other seasons that, uh, you know, I'll be interested to, to hear you compare them. But I guess that's months and months off. Of course, uh, the trip is going to pick up where last season, the season three finale left off with Kramer moving to California. But before we get to that, we have some of Jerry's stand up talking about people who move across the country for a season. And you never see people doing that when it used to take them 10 years to get there. Yeah, the Oregon Trail didn't have a lot of summering in uh, Florida. <laughs> yes, because you would catch dysentery. It'd be a terrible vacation. I actually started playing the Oregon Trail with my kids. And uh, it wasn't, you know, it's not as uh, compelling of a game now as uh, maybe it was in the early 90s. It's a dark game. There's a lot of dying. You know, I always tell them you're not allowed to name them at, like after your friends because they'll just like die in the middle of April. Yes, yes. I think that was part of the appeal of the Oregon Trail that you got to put people's names in and then people would die. And then you would just say to your friend, like, oh, you died. Oh, <laughs> sucks to be you. You have dysentery. Yeah. Do you ever realize like how lame our sort of like lives were compared to kids who grew up now? Yes. Yes. Every like, day. That was entertainment. If I tried to show like my little sister, the Oregon Trail, you know, she would throw the computer out the window. Yes. Uh, Akiva, you died. Uh, <laughs> I mean, she'd like that part of it, but everything else would be. <laughs> All right. So we're going to open up season four in the diner and we're going to open up in the booth that's like close to behind the counter. Yeah, different booth than normal. Interesting. I mean, why do you think they do that? Why do you, think they, do you feel like they say like, oh, we didn't really use that booth enough uh, last season. Let's start off the new season in that other booth. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Maybe to like establish it's a new season. Yeah, let's let's, you know, spice things up a little. It's a new season. And they're talking about how Kramer is still in California. And George says that he kept it a secret that Kramer asked him to go with him. It was the first thing he's ever been able to keep a secret from Jerry. Yeah. How does George not know this at this point? Like, how does he how is he still in the dark about Kramer being on Murphy Brown? <laughs> yeah. Is it the next day? I, I think the, the timeline of this whole episode is worth, think, you know, talking about because I, I have no idea what's going on. It could be six months later. It could be the next day. Hmm. Yeah, time-wise, I feel like if Murphy Brown is having episodes on, you would have to imagine that it's probably around May because maybe it's like the last episode of the Murphy Brown season. You would think this took place over the summer. They comment on how it's hot in uh, Los Angeles. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that sort of like ties it to a time and a place. Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be a couple days later because there's no way George could have gone that long without, you know, discussing with Jerry one that Kramer is in L.A. and two that Kramer is on Murphy Brown. OK, so Jerry also has an appearance that's coming up on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, and he has two tickets to go out there and he wants George to come with him. But George has a lot of caveats. Yeah, George is a come with guy, but he, he you know, he does not make it easy. 
Yeah. And then George goes through a whole list of, well, did they give us this? 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 I felt like this was a little out of character for, for George. I felt like he was like a little too broad in this scene. He was a little broad. They make him so neurotic, but he normally doesn't care about these types of things. I mean, a free trip to anywhere for George. He's taking it. Yeah. And he's asking so many questions and Jerry is starting to get annoyed. Uh, so now we're going to see Kramer in Los Angeles. And this is kind of an important episode, I think, that this whole sequence with the trip because I think that this sort of said to the, you know, the creators and Larry and Jerry and all the production people like, oh, we can make episodes that have a ton of scenes in them and really get out of just like, OK, this episode is basically, you know, six or seven scenes and most of them are in Jerry's apartment. Uh, yes. Yeah, some of the early episodes we do, because I write I write my notes by scene, uh, had six or seven scenes. Uh, and I think the record before this was like 16 uh, but I have for ep- just episode one here, I have 20 scenes in this episode. Yeah. So I think that this is going to be from this point on, this is a little bit of a watershed episode, even though the trip itself is not a fantastic Seinfeld episode. Um, and I actually feel like part one is stronger than part two, which I feel like is not really a laugh riot. Um, I do feel like uh, that there something shifts here after this. Uh, yeah, and I do think the, it, it starts to feel more like an event. It starts to feel bigger. Uh, they clearly, as we'll discuss when we go through the episode, they spend more money probably on this episode than they have so far. Yeah. All right. So in the trip, we're going to see Kramer out in Los Angeles quite a bit. And we see him sort of like on set, sort of like pontificating to like a bunch of people. And he talks about his method is that he doesn't memorize the words. He memorizes colors. Uh, and there's like a bunch of people like hanging on his every word. And then it turns out that Kramer is uh, just like escorted out by security. Yeah, he's like uh, he was teaching without any permission. He was like a sneaking. It was like a sneak attack teaching course there. Yes. And so we're going to see Kramer staying at this place that he has, um, which according to what we're going to hear in the sh- uh, later on when the 911 call comes in that they find out where Kramer lives. Uh, is close to the Hollywood Bowl. All right, that's that's such like a that's such like an LA thing to like start talking about. Uh, yeah, you know, you're so excited now. These are the only two episodes you know that we have in LA that you could you know you could do all the geography. Yes, he's at six. Make a right on the 101 and go up. And- yeah, uh, North Las Palmas. So uh, over in the Hollywood area, and so uh, Kramer is staying there at some sleazy place, and uh, we end up meeting. Uh, is this Kramer's landlord? No, I think she's just a neighbor, Helena. Another tenant. Another tenant. Uh, and she was in an episode of The Three Stooges. Did you ever see this one, Sappy Pappies? Uh, I did not see it. You know, I wish someone would show me The Stooges. Yeah, well, you've um, never seen Three Stooges either? Uh, I've, I've seen them like in passing, but I, they weren't my, uh, my cup of tea. Okay. <laughs> well, apparently uh, she was in an episode of The Three Stooges. And this was a maybe Larry Charles uh, wrote this episode of The Three Stooges because it was very dark. Also, this episode of Three Stooges that she was they in. get executed. It must be the series finale of The Stooges. <laughs> yes. Uh, so they were like looking for a baby and it turned out the baby was dead and they execute The Three Stooges. Uh, yeah, this woman, you know, she hasn't worked since 1934. So she's got a very, you know, vivid imagination. Do we assume that Helena is uh, maybe delusional? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I don't think this episode really existed. I think Helena is like a little off her rocker. Okay. Um, she does ask Kramer if he'll take her to go get a fat-free frozen yogurt. A little bit of a, a foreshadowing for what's to come. 
Well, in L.A., you mean? No, in, in Seinfeld with fat-free frozen yogurt. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. I just thought you meant that, like, everyone's eating frozen yogurt. Yeah, that's right. But it, I bet it's not really fat-free. Uh, and also, like, she, she was left by Mickey Rooney at the altar. Yes. So if you're dating Mickey Rooney, you know, you're probably nuts. Yes, probably. Okay, so uh, she ends up, you know, calling out the Kramer, and he runs away. Um, so we go back to Jerry's apartment. George is packed for the trip. He has like uh, five or six different suitcases. Uh, and Jerry says to him, oh, what are you, Diana Ross? Uh, yeah, very. Uh, that actually, I guess, holds up because people know, you know, that she is like the original diva. Um, but I do like that he dresses based on mood. I think uh, more people should do that. Yes, yeah, so George dresses every day by mood. And Jerry says, but you wear the same thing every day. Yeah, he must be in a similar mood all the time. Yes. No, actually, what George says is that seemingly... But there are slight variations, and this one is called Morning Mist. Uh, yeah. Do you have any like moods where you're like, I'm going to put on a yellow plaid shirt instead no. of a white one? <laughs> no. Well, you, I, yeah, I don't wear a white plaid shirt. I guess, yeah, there's, not, there's no such thing. Yes. Um, but I feel like uh, yeah, maybe a little bit. I wouldn't say it's more by me, my mood. It's probably more by where I'm going. It, with which color plaid shirt to wear based, is based on where you're going? Yeah, or how, how loud. I think I dress by volume. You have a pla- You should have a plaid suit. No, no, no. I don't need a plaid suit. Um, but I, I would say probably like if I want to go somewhere that's exciting, maybe it goes with something that's more bright. And uh, if I don't want to be noticed, maybe something more uh, muted. I hear you. A little more camouflage. Yeah, I, I also I, I dress based on mood. But since I work from home, it's like if I'm in a good mood, I'll put pants on. And if not, I just won't even bother. <laughs> good call. Good call. All right. So we, for the first time, we see the cops investigating and uh, they have a murder scene where they're talking. And again, this is like Shades of Bookman, uh, another episode written by uh, Larry Charles. Uh, yeah, they're, they're talking in like old school, like L.A. confidential, like 1950s L.A. style. Um, one of the cops is uh, J- the great Jake Jarmel, who we're going to see next season uh, as a, the boyfriend to Elaine uh, you know, pauses to get juju fruits in instead of coming to visit him in the hospital. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> so uh, he, they're going to, the cops are talking and they're talking about how she has no ID. Um, and, uh, you know, basically just nothing really funny here, but they're talking like, uh, you know, I don't know what it is, but I, I know I don't like it. Like s- setting this up. It feels a little bit like a CSI parody also. Yeah. Even though CSI hadn't existed yet. Okay. So we're going to see Jerry and George go through uh, the metal detector at the airport. And uh, again, um, I feel like the air, airline security um, is going to become a big deal uh, in, you know, the following decade. But here in the 90s, I guess, you know, it's hammer time. You know, you could just make fun of uh, airplane security. What are these guys really checking you for? Right, and you didn't have to take all your stuff out then. You're just walking through a metal detector. Yes. Um, George is afraid that he feels like he's going into another dimension. Yeah, I never had that fear. I, and I do like, you know, do you think Jerry wears anklets? <laughs> do any men wear anklets? I'm sure some man wears an anklet. It's got to be someone somewhere wears an anklet. Yeah. I mean, they never really find what the metal is on Jerry's person. In 2015, does Jerry ever get through security? No, they, you know, they keep looking. It was weird. Like, why have him beep? You know, and I understand they're maybe doing that. Like, you know, the, all the, all the uh, stand up is about airports, but I, I, I don't, you know, it's weird to have him beep 20 times and then just like ignore it. That scene doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It is an odd scene. I mean, it does set up what he's going to talk about on Jay Leno, but really uh, not too much comes out of the airport security scene. All right. 
So uh, we also find out that George has moisturizer on his person. Yeah, that also like who cares? Like, what is that? Is that so weird? I feel like maybe it's maybe that's like a 1992 thing, but now that would be normal. It'd be normal. All right. So <laughs> Jerry does some more stand up, and he talks about how the closest thing we have to royalty in this country are the cart people. Akiva, do you know of these cart people? Yeah, I mean, you see them in the airport. I think, uh, like, I know some grandparents and stuff who who need carts. It is a long walk in the airport. It's an underrated amount of walking. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes I'm always at like the last terminal all the way down. <laughs> have you ever had the privilege to ride the cart? No. I mean, I, you'd have to like, I mean, isn't it mostly for handicapped people? Is that what it only is? I thought it's for I mean, why? You think it's for VIPs? I think it's for VIPs. I mean, I'm sure if, you, if a VIP asks for a cart, like I don't want to be bothered by the, you know, the common folk. I'm sure they'd, they'd give him or her a cart. Yeah. I feel like, uh, I don't know how you get the cart. Maybe is it a, is it a first class thing? Do they give you that option? I really doubt it. If someone has any card stories, let us know. Yeah, if you're a card person, let us know how you got that privilege. All right. So we're going to go to Kramer, who's in like this audition office. And I think that this is probably not that much of a stretch uh, to imagine that this is really what, what it's like. Yeah, I think this is funny. And there are a ton of inside jokes. In, you know, I, I've noticed more watching this back, you know, with a fine tooth comb. There's a lot of like meta commentary on, you know, television and Hollywood in general in the first few seasons of the show. Yeah. But this is really this episode is really the most over the top. You know, it's very, you know, uh, like spot on with a lot of the things that people probably go through going to L.A. Yeah, I think that people probably have the perception that these auditions are more glamorous than they actually turn out to be where you do sort of just show up at a place and sit around for a while and they'll get to you when they get to you. And when you're like an actor auditioning in Hollywood, not that I've ever uh, done uh, many auditions at all, you really are just treated like the worst people on the earth. Wait, have you done any auditions? No, I've done auditions, but I've been one of the people auditioning people. Um, oh, okay. But that's, that's probably fun. No, nah, it's probably boring. No, it's fun. It's fun. But it's fun at first, but it goes on and on and on and on and on. Uh, yeah, I, I could see how it would be repetitive, but to do it once, it might be it might be interesting. Yeah, it really depends on who you're doing it uh, with also, because like I kind of feel like in these auditions, like you sort of like very quickly know um, if the person is right or not. And then but then there's like a whole charade that you have to go through of like you have to let the person do their thing because you can't just say, uh, yeah, it's def you're definitely not right. Like, uh, thank you. We'll see you later. You know, you have to you know, let them have their shot. Does the person who auditions get any points? What do you mean? Do they get points like, uh, like in the finished On the back product? end? No. Do they get, well, I, I, no, no points. I mean, usually, typically if you're, I mean, maybe eventually, but I, I, that's definitely not uh, part of the contract uh, in the, in the early going. Well, I should have asked at the beginning, but you don't have anything that you get any sort of check in the mail for 12 cents for, right? Do I? Yeah. Do you, do you have anything like, oh, that aired, so I get, I get, you know, a check for like a quarter from? No, no, nothing really. The, is the scorned is never on television? No, it's no, <laughs> not on television. I think after I did um, Survivor, when I went, I appeared on uh, David Letterman, they did the thing where they talked to the Survivor contestants. And I think they reran that episode and then I got a check in the mail after they reran the episode for something. Oh, but the, the, all right, but, but it's not. It only happened once. Yeah, I think if if they ever if they ever re re air uh, Sunday Night Football games from two thousand eight, I could get like fifty cents. Oh, that's good. 
No, not really, but I don't <laughs> think it's going to happen. <laughs> okay. So is Kramer there for the music video, the infomercial, the exercise tape, or the horror move they ask him? Uh, right. And he, and then you see a montage of him being in all four. Yeah. This is a real showcase for Michael Richards. Um, what was your favorite of these four uh, setups that we had? I thought they were all really good. Uh, so the music video, I could see him in the problem. He was almost like so good that like, it's almost funny. Like they should have hired him for all four, but I, I do like the horror movie. I think that was the best one. I like the infomercial. Yeah, that was funny. Um, I would have. The only thing is, I thought he would go more over the top there and like spit the green juice all over everybody. <laughs> it's subtle. It was subtle that he's like. He did go for a subtle one there. That's true. He's trying to trying to smile, but it's gross, and he's like, uh, it all falls out of his mouth. Uh, yeah. Do you think he got any of those parts or no? No, no. Um, all right, but then Kramer hits it off with this girl, and he ends up going to a coffee shop with her, and he has a treatment for this movie that he has written. And uh, that he is uh, the, the, the treatment is called the keys. Is it the story that he told the kid in the van? Yeah, the kid in the van who we're going to see again in the next episode. Yeah. So, I mean, is the story like some sort of like medieval, like Game of Thrones type thing about uh, the, the keys and an ogre? Uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, what we saw last episode, except, you know, Jerry is like a, is like a J- King Joffrey type. Wow, <laughs> this is incredible. So anyway, so this one, this girl seems like very nice and uh, she's up for a mini series where she's going to play Ava Braun. Uh, yeah, so maybe not so nice. She seems a little, you know, it's funny because they make her seem nice, but then she's a little too into the whole Nazi thing. No? She's into it. Well, yeah, she's know. like too curious, maybe. <laughs> like if you were going to play, you know, Hitler in a movie. Like, does that inherently make you a bad person? Like that you would like really like try to uh, understand the character? Like, I don't do like I feel like we don't treat like other actors like um, for for instance, like, um, you know, if you were going to play like some other horrible person, um, mm-hmm. like uh, if you're going to play Hannibal Lecter, like we don't think that's necessarily a reflection on the person who is playing him. No, you're you're right. You're right. You know, I, I, there's nothing wrong with it in general. I mean, I think it would be awkward. You know, I, I, the conversation with my dad that I was playing Hitler probably would be would be an awkward one. But uh, but I think what in if general, you came off looking people... really bad, though, in the movie. What if I came off? looking no. bad? <laughs> oh, if Hitler came off. looking yes. bad. Yes. I mean, it would be way worse if he came off like, you know, with like a vague sort of, you know, like a winner's at it. <laughs> yes. So I guess it really would depend on the execution. Uh, no pun intended. Yeah, but but yeah, I think um, I think uh, there's nothing wrong with it. She's a little into it. By the way, the actress Debbie Monahan. Do you want to guess what she does? Uh, I'm going to guess that she does auditions with people. Uh, nope, nope. Uh, she does some sort of. Uh, she's a celebrity Pilates and fitness instructor. Oh, so she got the exercise video. Wait. So now my question. Oh, yeah, she did. My question is. Does she do Pilates for celebrities or is she calling herself a celebrity? Okay, what I think she does it for celebrities. What's the exact title? Celebrity Pilates and Fitness Instructor. Yeah, I think she does Pilates for celebrities. So if if a civil if a civilian calls her up, she's like, sorry, you gotta be B list or better? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that they if you have enough money, you'll pay I think the celebrity just means it's expensive. Fair enough. I mean her website doesn't work, so maybe she's falling on hard times. Yeah, I think so. Okay. So Kramer tells uh, the woman, what is her name? Do we know? Chelsea. Chelsea. He tells her about the treatment. He gives her a copy. And, uh, you know, she is connected to some, what is it? West, 
West German money. Yeah, she's got some West West German uh, television money. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it is sort of a uh, positive spin uh, piece on on Ava Braun. I'm not casting any aspersions on on this Chelsea. It's just I feel like they're trying to maybe, you know, make her seem like wacky the same way the neighbor Helen was wacky. Like everyone's got everyone's got some sort of agenda. Yeah. Anyway, so then Kramer spots an actor, a very famous actor, a lot of cameos in this episode. Uh, Fred Savage. Yeah, it is funny because the show's shooting in L.A., so now they're actually in L.A., and they don't have to pretend they're in New York. So they could literally get anybody in Hollywood who will agree to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they get Fred Savage. Yes. Now, what is Fred Savage up to at this point? Like, he's coming off the Wonder Years. And it's, I think it's right before, uh, what's his next show called? I don't know. Does he have another show? Didn't he have some other show? I think it was like right between the Wonder Years and, uh, you must have been a big Wonder Years fan. I, yeah, I was a big uh, fan. It wasn't one of my favorite shows. Like, I feel like it went on and on and on. Like, I definitely liked it in the early going. Yeah, I mean, you've got like, you know, because also you're the right age for it. And he did wear a Jets, uh, yep. Jets jacket. <laughs> yes. All right. So the Wonder Years, I guess, is still on at this point or just it just wrapped. Uh, yeah, it's in, ending basically. In 1993. Then he does nothing except for Seinfeld uh, up until 1996. Oh, Wes, well, so I didn't realize he fell in such hard times. I, I mean, yeah. how, what number call was, was Fred Savage? Mm. You know, when they were like, all right, Kramer's got to meet a huge celebrity and pitch him his treatment. Yeah, probably like, you know, 10 or 15, somewhere in between there. Uh, he ha- is going to end up doing the show Working uh, for a couple seasons, uh, but not until 1997. Working? Yeah. I feel and, like there's been five shows called Working. I'm not probably, sure which one. Probably. But then he goes on to be a, uh, a director. He's going to direct a lot of TV. Yeah, no, he actually does well now. He, he directed uh, Modern Family, and I'm not sure what else. Yeah, so he's directed... Oh, two Broke Girls, oh, all, all the classics. Yeah, he directs a lot of sitcoms. Right, that's, a, that's a profession. I bet he... I don't know if he gets points, but he probably gets the uh, residual checks in the mail, at least. Yeah, he probably does okay. So um, he's doing more work behind the camera, but uh, he's spotted by Kramer and has a very funny interaction where um, Kramer's very nervous. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't be meeting Fred Savage? <laughs> um, I feel like this must be uh, something that happened quite a bit between uh, Jerry and Larry um, and the people that made this episode, because I'm sure that this is based on a few real encounters, uh, especially the George stuff that's going to come up with Corbett Burnson and uh, with George Went as well. Have you ever frozen up around a celebrity? Not really. Like, I feel like, uh, if, if anything, I'm probably... Well, for, maybe it depends on freezing up or doing like what Kramer did. I, I guess either one will, will count here. Yeah, I'm probably much more likely just to shut up if, if I'm around somebody who's very famous. And you not, get nervous and, and like, don't say anything. Yeah, rather than like, you know, make uh, an idiot out of myself. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Try to sort of just stay out of the way. But uh, Kramer is funny with Fred Savage and then he like knocks over Coffee Table and Fred Savage runs for it and Kramer <laughs> I think the funniest part is that like he turns back to Chelsea and like gives her like the thumbs up like it went really well I also like that Fred Savage was just sitting in like a restaurant reading a trade magazine as if like that's what he does yes <laughs> yes in the coffee shop alright so George and Jerry are in the Universal Hilton uh, that's uh, in uh, as the name implies uh, around Universal City Akiva I, I listen, I'm writing all this down, Rob. I hope there's a test at the end. All right. Let me ask you this question. Okay. Jerry's on the phone. George is sort of checking out the hotel room. Who is Jerry talking to on the phone? Oh, that's a good question. 
Um, who is he? Well, not what's he saying? What's he saying he on the phone? He's asking George: Is Kramer's hair curly or wavy? Uh, how tall is Kramer? And then basically, he's like, uh, "Okay, I guess they don't they, they don't know where he is." I, he must be filing some kind of missing persons report. What? He's not, he's not missing. Uh, yeah, They're just I guess. looking for him. So who? So who do you think he's calling? The police? I don't I think know. he's calling the police. Why would he call the police? It makes there's no. It makes no sense uh, who he's calling unless he knows somebody like on the set of Murphy Brown. Yeah, that's possible. Maybe he called Murphy Brown. He doesn't know Murphy Brown. He doesn't like uh, we saw Kramer on the payphone earlier in the episode. He calls Murphy Brown. He gets hung up on right away. Oh yeah, you can't ask to speak to Murph to Candace. That's for sure. But but Jerry's a celebrity. He's about to be on the Tonight Show. He's got enough juice to at least speak to his secretary. I don't know. So I don't know who uh, he's talking to, but anyway, so George is uh, running around. He's wearing the shower cap. Uh, we get the introduction of Lupe, the maid. Uh, yeah. Are you tuck or no tuck here? I would say I am tuck. I am much more concerned. I'd rather have it be too tight than like, oh, now I've pulled the sheets up and now my feet are sticking out. Yeah, I hear you. My only thing is I, everyone says they don't wash that top blanket. That's that's my concern. You go under like three sheets because. Supposedly the top blanket is an issue sometimes. Okay, so wait, so what, the comforter? Yeah, like the, yeah, the, the big blanket, the comforter. So you get rid of that. And I, then, don't, I don't know, yeah, you like throw it off. Yeah, you're, because the, think about how big it is. Like how free, what kind of washing machines they have. How frequently is that getting washed? Yeah, and I think that's probably a lot of people having sex on that. Uh, I, I get, I mean, I don't know, maybe they're, I mean. Or worse. Why do people, yeah, but but maybe they're also hygienic and they're throwing off the comforter too. Mm, I have a feeling most people, the default is not hygienic. Okay. Yeah, I think that's uh, if you bring the black light in there, I think then probably uh, you, um, I think that backs up what I'm saying. Yeah, I think don't bring a black light into a hotel room. You'll just never stay in a hotel again. That's probably. a good rule. But anyway, um, you got to try not to think about that. You'll go crazy. And so uh, here comes Lupe. To the door and George, of course, uh, we found out earlier in season three that he pulled his hamstring trying to get out of the bed, right? Uh, yeah, he's got, you know, he's got some bad, uh, you know, bad memories of hotels and he's, you know, he's trying to turn the corner here. Yes. And so he tells Lupe that he wants no tuck. It's too tight. Uh, yeah, I feel like, can't he do this himself like this? I understand it's a nice hotel, but once she doesn't do it for him, like, can't you just do it yourself? Yeah. Yeah, you would think so. He likes to swish and swirl the sheets. Yeah, I also like I'm a mover. You know, I'll start on one side of the bed. I'll end up like all the way around. But I'm not as high maintenance as George. <laughs> and uh, he's trying to get Jerry on board. Uh, he asked Jerry if he wants to talk. Jerry is busy on the phone. And then uh, he says, fine, fine. Uh, don't talk. And so he tells Lupe that basically they want no talks. And Jerry changes his mind. And it's going to be a big problem for Lupe. Yeah, I don't blame Lupe here. It's very confusing. Yeah. The other thing going on with Lupe is that apparently Jerry wrote the jokes out on a cocktail napkin or a piece of paper, and then she threw out the jokes. Now, how good could these jokes have been if they were written on a piece of paper that got thrown out? Isn't that what comedians do? Like they think of something funny in the middle of the night and they write it down? Yeah, I get the idea of you have an, a funny concept that you write down. And we saw that with Flaming Globes of Sigmund, but... Jerry is saying that the phrasing was worked out exactly on this piece of paper. So I, I just don't get it that the phrasing uh, could have been like scribbled out on a, on a piece of scrap paper. It's like if you have a perfect tweet and but, you know, and then you think of them like, oh, no, that's like 12 characters too long and you just can't get it back. Yes. OK. <laughs> 
Does that happen to you? Do you have perfect tweets? I, I mean, I don't tweet a lot, but I'm sure like I have funny ideas, not for tweets, but in general. And then I'll forget them by the next day and I'll say I should have written them down. But I think most comedians have like a notebook or like you, if you ever see the, the uh, Joan Rivers documentary, which is really good. She has index cards and like tens of thousands of jokes on index in, in, on index cards by category. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've heard that. I haven't seen it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm impressed that, you know, Jerry can just remember most of his jokes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I found like in a little bit of stand-up comedy that I did, that's the hardest part of remembering uh, how to do the joke. Right. Because you write a set list, right? But it's, you're just writing one word down or two words. Yeah. I think that really, you know, the people that are just naturally funny and can be funny on ideas or really have a leg up of somebody that has to like really like wordsmith it. Which one do you think Jerry is here? Um, I mean, I think that Jerry is very much in the precise wording of the jokes. Like, you know, it's not like uh, Jerry is just being like naturally funny on a given topic. You know, he's very scripted. Right. So, but right. I mean, if, if right, if Jerry's hanging out with you, I mean, obviously he'll have good one-liners, but you, it's not like he's like the life of the party. Just everything he does is funny and he's getting a laugh. Yeah. You're saying he's, he's the wordsmith. He's in the wordsmith camp. Yes. But that's, you know, how he makes his living. Uh, and are we talking about real Jerry or fake or TV Jerry here? <laughs> I think both. I think they're the same person. Okay, fine. Okay. Um, so Jerry is upset Lupe threw away the jokes. And George's like, don't blame Lupe. It's not Lupe's fault. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can't expect, you know, you can't expect the maid not to throw out a crumbled up napkin. I think he's right here. So we have a couple of uh, external driving scenes in this episode. So they're still arguing about tuck versus no tuck. And when they drive past a copy store and Kramer walks out with like a ton of headshots. Right. And uh, yeah, he's got the headshots. Uh, do you ever get headshots? Um, not headshots like that. No, like I've taken pictures for stuff, but I've never had to have headshots developed. Uh-huh. Right. So then he spills his headshots. Yeah. And they're not even like real headshots. It's like he has like Xerox copies of pictures of him. Well, it's not like he, you know, he went to the bank and took out all the money he has. I mean, he's really making it go on a dime here. He's staying in a flea bag hotel. He's not exactly rolling in the cash. Yes. And so we end up having uh, all these headshots uh, in the works. And then we cut to very sad. Uh, Chelsea now is dead. Uh, yeah, and they really just yada, yada, yada over this death. Like, it's not like, because again, you're right. We've seen her. She's kind of a likable character. And then it's like, whoa, was that Chelsea? Yeah. I mean, again, this is uh, dark for Seinfeld. Is this the new darkest thing that we've seen on the show? Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on your opinion of, you know, hiring a prostitute in your friend's apartment. But I, I would say yes. Yeah. You know, the other two things that we've talked about with, you know, the stroke and stuff like that. You know, it's almost like our main characters are taking something serious and treating it lightly. In this instance, I feel like this is the show taking something serious and treating it lightly. Yeah, I would agree. I think this is this is has Larry Charles written all over it. Yeah. I mean, this isn't like Jerry and George reacting to that. Like, uh, there's a dead body. It's like, hey, what, what do you want for lunch? Um, even though it a little bit uh, is going to be that uh, later on. Right. Oh, no. I mean, there's a lot of celebration of death in this episode, but. This is like, uh, this is kind of just like, whoa, out of nowhere. It's like a walking dead death. Yeah. Now, one of the cops says, uh, we found, this was on her person. Do you like that person? expression? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do. I think the problem is you sound very pretentious. It is funny, but you, there's no way you're not going to get called out for it. Yeah. I think that's cop lingo. I, I think I, I side with the cop. 
Um, so your, your father was a cop. Did he ever say like that's on somebody's person? <laughs> I'm sure he said that at work. I mean, he didn't say it in the house very much. Oh, he didn't be like, hey, Rob, I want to see what you have in your pocket. What's on your purse? Yeah, this was, he says to my mom, this was on his person. I found <laughs> this uh, uh, that he had uh, matches on him. Um, uh-huh. So we get to see Jerry at The Tonight Show and some NBC posters uh, in the background. Quantum Leap uh, featured prominently. Yeah, I think one of the best parts about the whole series is like all the wacky posters in the background. Yes. Um, and it is a real great snapshot of what was popular then to see like who the guests are with Jerry on The Tonight Show. Yeah. And so Jerry's going to go off and leave George in the green room. And the first person he's going to bump into, star of Celebrity Mole 1 and 2, Corbin Burnson. Wait, he was on, How? what does that mean? Like there was Celebrity Mole 2 was like all stars or was he, how are you on both? He was on Celebrity Mole 1. With Stephen Baldwin, and then he was on Celebrity Mole Two again with Stephen Baldwin. That him and Stephen Baldwin liked it so much they did it two seasons in a row. That's crazy. Who knew you were allowed to do that? Yeah, they weren't very good at it, but they had nothing oh, else. So it wasn't going like on. they were great TV and like, oh, we need we need Baldwin and Bern- and Burnson back for season two, or it's not happening. They were okay TV, but it was almost like the MTV Challenge where they were like, hey, we're coming back. We're doing this oh, so again. So who's Johnny Bananas and who's CT? I think that they they are. I'm saying, is Corbin Burns and Johnny Bananas? I guess so, but they're, again, they're not, they don't win Celebrity Mall. They're just on it over and over again. Well, I think CT only won once. Okay, fair enough. I didn't know you were such an uh, enthusiast of the challenge. I'm not. I'm, I, I've seen a few seasons. I really am not. Okay. Um, and so George is telling this whole story to Corbin Burns. Do you like the story or should he have told the story that actually happened on the show? I, I think uh, it was a big missed opportunity not to. There's so many things he could have pitched Corbin Burns on that happened on the show. It's almost weird that he's making up this story or maybe not making it up, but it happened, you know, off camera. Yeah, that the story is ultimately that George tells Corbin Burnson that he was dating a, a woman who had a cat and he was supposed to go feed the cat. But then he didn't end up feeding the cat. But George says that the cat died of old age and he shouldn't have to pay for a new cat. Uh, and he thinks that Corbin Burnson should do this on L.A. law. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the, like where the law really comes in. It, this is more of a Judge Judy type of case, no? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, and then we see George with George Went, and he's and his pitch for Cheers is that they should do more stuff in a different location. Yeah, they'll really upset you know their fans in uh, in Italy though. Yeah, I think they would. Now, do you think was this a meta joke about this is a Seinfeld episode that's taking place outside of the traditional Seinfeld environment? where a character is telling a character from another sitcom that they should do more stuff not set in the certain environment of the TV show. Yeah, I do think it's a meta... There's probably like a few levels here, but I do think it's a meta joke that uh, people probably... You know, it's more of like people come up to you on the street and pitch you the worst ideas in the world. Yeah. And so then we get to see the actual Tonight Show interviews... And while we don't see Jay Leno, we see, you know, tight on Corbin Burnson talking about how somebody was pitching him this horrible idea for a show. Uh, now, again, this couldn't have come up in the pre-interview. Corbin Burnson is uh, going off the script. Yeah, you'd, I mean, Jay Leno would nowadays, he'd like shut that, not, not now because he's not on, but he probably would have shut that down. It's like, I can't go off script. Yes. But, and how could they not get Jay Leno? He really, for NBC, for this huge event, the few days after the Olympics, couldn't give them five seconds of time. I mean, this is really at the height of the um, transition over. I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know if there's any sort of backstory with Jerry Seinfeld and, you know, being loyal to Johnny Carson or, or any, any. I know they're all NBC. 
Like, did the Letterman Leno politics play any part of it? I mean, at a certain point, I think Jerry came on the show, although he's friends with Letterman, I think not. So, but I, I think he went on Leno. It's a good question. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, le- knowing Leno, he probably asked for some points on the show or something. <laughs> Is that what he did? <laughs> yeah. He, he, Leno doesn't, doesn't go anywhere if you're not paying him. Okay. All right. So we end up then seeing George went on the show talking about how another wacko came along and was telling him that they should do episodes uh, not in the bar. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it is it is so weird, like the way that they cut these scenes that it's they're just talking to themselves with a long monologue with no Leno. Yeah. Um, you know, now that I think of it, I'm just trying to like in my head, trying to cross reference uh, Jay Leno and Jerry Seinfeld. I think that um, I heard Jerry Seinfeld on Howard Stern at one point talking about how he talked to Jay Leno about not doing another show after NBC let him go and that it was his idea to sort of like take on that go out on top mentality. Uh, yeah. Oh, so you mean they have some relationship? Yes, I believe they are friends. But again, that was, you know, this is 23 years before that or something. Yes. Yes. And I see a, uh, a quick uh, Google search that I'm doing. Here's a, uh, an article called The Ballad of Leno and Letterman told by Seinfeld. Uh, yeah, it's also, it's, I mean, yeah. I mean, you also can't go on Howard Stern and mention Leno because that's his least favorite person yes. in the world. Uh, I think also Jay Leno had done an episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Yeah, he did. He did do one. He, they, uh, I think uh, Jerry drove around in a denim car. <laughs> denim car? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so um, at the same time that we're seeing the interviews happening uh, on the Jay Leno show, this is sort of intercut with the police interviewing people that knew Kramer, including the woman from his building and also that kid that he said uh, in the first part of this whole charade that uh, what do you think these uh, hands have been soaking in ivory liquid? Yeah, I do like the callback. I do wonder how much because this episode is so early. I wonder like if they really wrote these together, if they're just tying them in after. But it is funny to like bring back this very minor character here. Yeah. And so I think it was all intentional that they brought this. This is all together. Oh, yeah, I would. I I agree. The thing is, we don't give them a lot of credit because as we see in the first few seasons, they're really playing it by ear. But maybe this is the point where they're sort of developing a game plan. Yeah. All right. So. We see then Jerry's uh, stand up and he's really struggling with coming up with uh, the name of the conveyor belt. Uh, yeah. If this was now, you'd like go on YouTube, you know, it would be on YouTube and there would be like 8 million dislikes for the thing. And like, oh my Jerry God. would get it taken down. Oh my God. Um, so uh, we end up with uh, Jerry blaming Lupe for the bad set. And George, again, is such a Lupe defender. Yeah. That's gotta be a tough audience. Like going to doing like the four minutes of stand up by the, uh, you know, at like a, at the end of a, of like a tonight show. Yeah. I feel like that's also a weird booking of Corbin Burnson, George went and a comedian. I feel like, uh, y- you know, ideally you want to have a musical act, right? Yeah. I mean, but usually if there's a comedian, he usually comes on third instead of a musical act. Okay. My question is how mad was George went that on the fake tonight show, he got second billing to, jo- to Corbin Benson, uh, Corbin Burnson, Corbin Burnson. Burnson. Um, well it is maybe like the height of the LA law era. Yeah, but Cheers is the most popular show on TV. Hmm. Yeah, but this supporting character, Corbin Burnson's the star of LA Law. I don't know. I, if I was if I was Wentz agent, I'd I'd have to you know probably I'd get file a file grievance. File yeah. grievance. Okay. So uh, after all this, then we're going to see on the TV uh, Keith Morrison, the uh, reporter. Uh, have you ever seen uh, Bill Hader do an impression of this guy? Yeah, he does a good impression. <laughs> Keith Morrison. What does he do now? Like Dateline, Keith Morrison. Um. Yeah, I think so. 
I think so. Uh, there's been a break in the smog strangler uh, s- stranglings. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, uh, Keith Morrison also to tie into uh, the episode we did yesterday. Uh, he's uh, Chandler Bing's father-in-law in real life. Oh, <laughs> wow. That wasn't just a walk-on episode of uh, Caroline in the City? No, no, no. He's, uh, Matthew Perry's married to his daughter, I guess. Oh, wow. How, how do you like that? I'm, I don't like it. I don't, I don't dislike it. It's just, it's just what it is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, that is the end of part one of the trip. Cliffhanger. Uh, to be continued. To be so continued. yes, uh, some, uh, like, for instance, The Boyfriend, if I remember correctly, was uh, aired all on one night. But uh, here they left you in suspense. You know, what's going to happen to Kramer? It didn't air again until the next week, August 19th. Okay, but we don't have to wait a week. We're going to go right into it with part two, which starts off with Jerry doing stand up, talking about the guy who is the person who draws the chalk outline. Yeah, that is kind of funny. Like, I always think, you know, it's like joining the army, but, you know, being the guy who serves the food. Oh, like uh, Frank Costanza? Well, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, if, if there was ever a draft, like I would be one of those guys. I would want to be the chalk outline guy. Yeah. Um, you know, the chalk outline, I feel like um, is I feel like we're poo pooing the chalk outline a little bit. I feel like uh, forensics is uh, not as big here in August of 1992 as it will be. Oh, no, for sure. Yeah. The CSI makes it much more popular. Now it's probably a harder field to get into. But, uh, you know, I, I just, you know. Yeah, I, I can't even draw a straight line, so I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be a good chalk outline guy anyway. Yeah, I think that um, the inciting incident uh, in uh, forensics, I think, is going to uh, come down the road uh, when uh, OJ is going to kill his wife uh, in a few years. Whoa, 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 Rob. Spoiler. Rob. No, not spoiler. He didn't kill his wife. He was found innocent. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, we're about two years away from the height of uh, forensics uh, really, uh, you know, taking a big quantum leap. Uh, and I'm not talking about what uh, Sam and Al are doing week to week. Uh, is, are those the stars of quantum leap? Yes. yes. Sam and Al? Yes. Uh, and now, ironically, uh, <laughs> Sam is doing forensics uh, in New Orleans. Really? What? Is that like, uh, oh, NCIS? Uh, is it, is, yeah, NCIS, uh, is NCIS New Orleans or, or is it CSI New Orleans? No, I don't think there's a CSI in New Orleans. I've never, I, I don't believe I've ever seen a full episode of CSI or NCIS, but I'm pretty sure the title is NCIS New Orleans. Okay. Yes. With Scott Bakula. We can ask our grandparents. They probably watch. <laughs> okay. So we're going to see, uh, now we get back to it. Uh, the guys are talking, uh, Jerry and George. It's like the next day. I don't understand why they're wearing uh, suits and ties. Now, is it the next day? Is it? So you think they just came out of Jay Leno and it's like six o'clock at night? I I feel like this whole thing is one long day based on what we're going to hear later. Yeah. I mean, that's possible. But I get the sense from the with a position of the sun, unless it's like, you know, if it is May or June and it's very long days. I mean, I feel like it's got to be like, you know, six thirty, seven o'clock at night by the time they get out of Jay Leno. Yeah, and this day never ends, but you're gonna they say some things later would make it seem like this whole thing is almost one day. It's like a Jack Bauer day. And if that's the case, then George is talking about how um he didn't eat breakfast, uh and talking about lunch. Like, does the food conversation they have work if it's like because they film that tonight show at like five thirty. Yeah, but maybe in this hypothetical fake world they film the tonight show earlier. They film the tonight show at like noon? Listen, something's gotta give. It can't, you know. The, the the because he's he's just talking about breakfast and you know George would mention lunch if uh you know oh I mean I guess he does he doesn't want to eat eggs sure. for lunch 
But the three-hour time difference, he he needed right. breakfast. Maybe at the end of the episode, we'll figure out what the day situation is. Okay. So they need to call the police and basically tell the police they think their friend is innocent. Right. Because if you call the police and you tell them your friend is innocent, they just let them go. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't think of that on Serial. <laughs> That's right. Like Robert Durst's friends should just be calling the police right now and telling them he didn't do any of those murders. We don't think he did. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Okay. So... We get a little bit of a montage of like, we cut back and forth to Kramer, like getting dressed. I don't really know why this needed to be in the show. It seemed like a little bit of a time filler of Kramer in the shower, Kramer shaving. Do you have any sense of why they had to show us all this? I think it was more like just show us that Kramer's still here. Okay. Don't forget about Kramer. Also, uh, no Julia Louis-Dreyfus in uh, these two episodes. Yes. Um, yeah. We should mention that uh, she was pregnant. Uh, I think she had just had the baby when they were filming the episodes. So she was, uh, she's not in these, and uh, there are a couple episodes on uh, the next few that she's barely in. Okay. And so uh, happy news for Julia Louis-Dreyfus on her uh, 23-year-old kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that kid now is... Uh, happy, happy news. It's a mitzvah. What's a mitzvah? That she had a kid. Having a kid is a mitzvah? Sure. Is it not? I think you have to have one boy and one girl. I think that was the rule. That's officially a mitzvah? After that, after that no more mitzvahs. <laughs> All right. And so we get to uh, Jerry and George get to a payphone, and uh, they're going to call 911. And uh, I don't know. I felt like this payphone stuff is kind of funny of like going, should we get change? Uh, and then do I have bad breath? Um, you know, I, I like this stuff uh, more than the big stuff. Yeah. Most of the episode is so dark that it's funny to have like the bad breath thing and, you know, not to have change, which was like a pretty common thing in 1992, even though it seems like it's from a different, you know, planet now. Yeah. So they end up ultimately calling 911, even though they debate whether or not it's an emergency and they put Jerry through to the detective that's working on the case. And he gives his name as George Costanza. It's a better name. Costanza is like a distinguished <laughs> name, right? Yeah. And George is like a little complimented by that. Uh, yeah. At first, he's like, what? But then he realizes, OK, yeah, that, that makes sense. Costanza <laughs> is better than Seinfeld. And then I love this part where they have to ask, like they're, they're getting asked by the police uh, where are you guys? And we're like, where are we? We don't know. Uh, and ask somebody. And they, some guy walks by and they're like, hey, where are we? And the guy says, Earth. And then uh, Jerry's something like, well, some guy on the street just gave me a smart answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, then uh, George asks a woman, and what street are we on? And, and she won't tell him. Uh, do you think the woman actually knew? No, she says, I don't know. And then I think he she says, knew. Yeah, you're probably right. But I, this is funny. I remember like watching this 20 years ago and it being really funny. Yeah. Okay. And we find out that they are at 12145 uh, Ventura Boulevard. Now, they are almost like literally across the street from where Seinfeld is actually being filmed at, at the uh, Radford lots. Well, that's probably literally where they were then, right? They probably just left the lot to film these scenes and that's literally where they are. Now, I can't verify from where they are that they actually are there, but the address they give, it puts them very close to where Seinfeld is actually shot. We need the, we need the Californians music to be playing while you tell us, <laughs> tell me all these fun facts. Yeah. All right. So they send a, a car, a black and white, not a black and white cookie, a black and white car to come get them. Yeah. Do you notice by the time he hangs up the phone, the car's already there? Yeah, that was very fast. Yeah, I mean, who knew? I heard the LA police takes like six hours to respond to anything, but yeah, they're very efficient. In in 1992, they were very efficient. All right. So again, also like um, another thing, for, uh, you know, difference between 2015 and uh, the, you know 1992 
Uh, again, also this episode, this entire episode couldn't even exist if there were cell phones. Um, but that being said, uh, the police uh, are are so uh, like uh, fun loving. Uh, yeah, this is a very wacky, goofy police. Yes. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe the LAPD was more of like, a, you know, sort of free spirited than the NYPD back then. I'm not sure. I don't know, but I do feel like this is sort of on like uh, what, Rodney King, I feel like is 1991, right? Was it 91 Rodney King? Let me see. Uh, Rodney King riots, uh, uh, 1992. But what what time? In, so this is actually the same year as the LA riots, and and only really um, months after the LA riots. So uh, maybe this was a little bit of PR on the part of the police department to sort of show how fun they are. Well, are these real LA cop cars? Do you think they like they actually like gave them some cop cars? Like you know, make us look good. Yeah, I, I feel especially if we're talking about that May 1992 uh, is when this episode occurred. Um, then uh, they would really be in the heart of everything. Unless they filmed this episode like before they went on break for the summer. Hmm. It's possible. I doubt it, though. Uh, we'll never know. We'll never know. But I think we do know. Uh, I don't think they filmed uh, like two episodes uh, of the fourth season before they went away on hiatus. Right. I guess that wouldn't make sense. I was just thinking maybe like it worked with Elaine's pregnancy, but probably not. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, they're in the back of the cop car. And uh, this is very funny to me also. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, ha- I, first of all, I like that they bet first on, uh, whether Lupe is going to tuck the covers in or not. Yeah. They bet her tip. Yeah. The more betting, but uh, Rob, do you tip chambermaids? <laughs> I tip a hotel maid. I wouldn't call do, Are we calling the hotel maid a chambermaid? Well, that's what they're calling them in the episode. So, but you do, you, you leave a tip for the hotel maid when they clean your room. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I am, I feel like I tip normally, but I've never left a tip for the, uh, for the hotel cleaning person. Oh, you got to leave a tip for the hotel cleaning person. They sometimes they leave you an envelope. I didn't even, I didn't even, you didn't even know like, that you're supposed to. I had no idea. I, yeah. I didn't know it was a thing. Yeah. And I think that Jerry is being maybe a little cheap. Certainly by today's standards, Jerry is being cheap by a dollar, a dollar a night. Yeah. Who, I mean, but you always get the same person. That's another problem. Like, you know, you're, you're giving a tip at the end. Yeah, I know. Sometimes but, the person comes in at the end and they just get all the money. It's not really fair. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's similar with like waiting and whatever, but, mm-hmm. uh, Sure. I, I never thought about that. I've never, I guess next time I stay in a hotel, I'll tip. Yeah. No, I think you got to do like, you know, five, well, you, you want to tip at the end because, uh, you know, if you, if you, if you give the tip out too early, then there's no incentive for them to continue to give you good service. Yeah. But I know some people actually give a big tip at the beginning and they think that really oh. helps them out. Like, Hey, I'm going to like show that I'm one, like if I give a big tip at the beginning, they're going to think that they could get maybe another half of this, you know, at the end, but also it shows like I'm a big, you know, important guy. Yeah. When I used to be a, a waiter at a catering hall, sometimes people would do that move where it's like they'd give everybody like give you like a 20 at the start of the night. And like, hey, this is my wedding today. So uh, do a good job. There'll be more where this came from. And I, know, I didn't I didn't know you were a waiter. Yeah, I used to be a, a waiter. I, I've been a waiter at a couple different places. But uh, when I was like in my uh, college years, like a couple times in the summer, I, do, I waited tables like at a catering hall, which is really uh, the worst type of waitering that you can do. Sort of a uh, catering waitering. Uh, you're not really getting tips from every customer. Yeah, you rarely get it. Like sometimes you get tips, but it's really, it's not expected. So any tips you get are sort of like, oh, well, this was nice. But it's like people at a wedding, like, you know, how many times do people like tip the waiter who waited on them during a like a, a, a wedding? Yeah, I've never done any manual labor like that. My hands have been soaking in ivory liquid. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but sometimes people would do that move, and I can't remember if I actually did a better job 
based on, I think I probably did a little bit of a better, better job for people that gave me money up front. But then there's also no guarantee they're going to give you money at the end. Uh, yeah, I guess these are, these are uh, you know, an interesting problem. But yeah, now I know. The, the important thing is we, I learned the lesson from this episode. You got to tip the lady who cleans the room. Yeah, you should. Okay, so uh, I liked when Jerry and George are horsing around in the back of the cop car. Um, I liked that. Uh, who tells on who? Does George tell on uh, Jerry? Um, yeah, I think he's fooling I, around back here. Yeah, but the guys are all into the fooling around. They don't mind it. Have you ever been in the back of a cop car? I'm sure when I was a kid, my dad. Uh, put, oh, yeah. Your father was a cop. That's, yeah. Did, did he get to bring his car home at night or he had to leave it? No, in you the, don't get uh, to take, take the police car home. Never? <laughs> no. Why? Sometimes like bus, you see bus drivers like they leave their bus and, you know, in their like uh, driveway. I don't know why. But I mean, if you're a firefighter, you don't get to take the fire truck home. Well, they need the fire truck. <laughs> well, they need the police car, too. Yeah, but doesn't everyone have their own police car? Did, you, did they have to share the police car with the guy who had the night shift? Yeah. Really? It's one car a, for two people? They have so like, a, let's say the guy who has the night shift is like a slob who just like eats you know, donuts and leaves wrappers all over the they place. They have a certain amount of police cars, and then when you, it's your shift, you drive the, poli- the police car. I assume like each team of guys got their own police car. I don't think there's an unlimited amount of police cars. I don't think it's unlimited, but there's also not an unlimited amount of policemen. So you'd be able to, you know, have a finite number of cars. Maybe there are police departments where every pair of police officers have their own car. But I believe that it is a, you know, the the cars belong to the police station and then they reassign the car. They don't say, okay, oh, oh hold on, uh, you know. Uh, that's Rodriguez's car. You, t- you get, you take your own car out tonight. Right. I wonder though. Yeah. That, I mean, if there's any cops who listen, you know, let us know, but I, you know, I, I, first of all, I feel like the Nassau County cops, they get to keep their cars home at night. I don't know. I don't know. We have to look into that. I'm pretty sure I'm right about this though. Okay. Uh, you you have more of a background. Uh, than I, I think I the police sure. station has, we have 12 cars and then we put, you know, pe- patrol people out in the cars and then they come back at the end of the shift and new people, take that car back out. I would be the guy nobody wanted the car after because I would just like leave all my food in there. <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing or not. Maybe if we have some police officers that are around that they could tell us uh, how much that happens. Uh, maybe you'd be a beat guy like in, in New York City. You don't even get a car, right? Oh, yeah. You could have a horse. I mean, um, maybe with a horse, maybe you say, hey, that's my horse and you don't want somebody else taking your horse out. Um I'm not sure if that's the same with a Segway or a motorcycle. Yeah, I would, I would, uh, like with the horses, I would get very possessive of my horse. I would not want anybody else riding my police horse. Yes, I think that you'd be pissed that you come in one day, somebody else is riding your horse. Uh, yeah, I would not, but let, let's say like they fed your horse Beefarino. Oh, forget it. Forget it. Uh, it would probably be if you had Beefarino in the police car and then somebody took the other horse to go talk to you and then the horse ate the Beefarino out of your patrol car. Do the cops have to clean up the horse poop? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I feel like the, the guy who's riding the horse, I feel like that would be a lot of work for him to get down and get off the horse. Yeah, the horse could run away or whatever. Yeah, I got to tie up the horse and clean up the poop. And I, I don't know. That's, that is a good question. The cop and the cop have to go to like horse riding school. Like I, yeah, I have so many I questions. Think I gotta, they, they don't just take somebody and just put somebody on a horse, right? So I mean, that's like, but that's a very unique set of skills to be like good at riding a horse. Maybe they teach it at the police academy. You, you, like, is that an like a like an elective? I think so. I think that if you if you want to ride a horse, I think that you can go into that. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe our Canadian listeners would know because there's a lot of like mounties. Mounties, right? Yeah, they might know. Right. Uh, I only know about the wrestler, the mountie. 
I don't know. Who was the Mountie? I don't remember He had that. like an electric shock stick and he would like, I don't know if the Mounties were using tasers in the 90s, uh, but he had like a thing that would like uh, an electric shock that would like uh, electrocute people. Oh, now everything's like very rated G, so they don't do that stuff anymore. <laughs> All right. So Jerry and George are in the back of the cop car and uh, who's this? Uh, Clint Howard is uh, being arrested. A 519. Uh, it's a 519. Do we know what a 519 is? Apparently, it's. Uh, I would think it's Grand Theft Auto. Oh, I thought he was just like resisting arrest. I don't know. I know it didn't seem like there were any police officers there arresting him. What you mean? But they stopped. They what happens? They stop him. Yeah. And then there's like an argument ensues. I'm not sure exactly what happens. Yeah, I sort of yada yada over the shotgun talk. I felt like that was odd. Also, where they're talking about how you could eat off that shotgun. I feel like they're just they were kind of just like improving and they just kept in whatever the wackiest stuff was. Yeah, just sort of like uh, filling time there. So are you excited to see Clint Howard? Very excited to see Clint Howard. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, there he is. Ron Howard's brother. Uh, He's like uh, Ron Howard, but uglier and much shorter. No, yes. And shorter. Um, And so he is uh, in the back of the cop car. I think he's sort of funny with them. He gets into conversation about the uh, how much do you tip the maid? Uh, they talk about, um, you know, what are you in here for? Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like, uh, you know, he, he seems like a very nice, polite guy. Yeah, I like that he asks them, hey, are you guys narcs? You don't have cuffs on. Like, no, we're friends of a serial killer. And he seems impressed with that. Yeah, he likes that. Narcs are not good. But for him, being friends with a serial killer gives you street cred. That's Is that cool the thing, though? Book. Like, if you're in a cop car and you're not arrested, you're a narc and you're going to, like, tattle on people at the station? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like the big part of being a narc would not be being in the police car. Right. You wouldn't want to be seen by the light of day with a police car. Yeah. I think that would like be being in an alliance. Yeah. That's probably a bad way of being a narc. So anyway, um, they talk about this uh, discussion about how much do you tip the maid? Jerry says that Ann Landers told him you tip a dollar a night. And uh, Clint Howard's response to this is pretty good. Ann Landers sucks. Ann Landers sucks. Does Ann Landers suck? Uh, no, neither does her sister, dear Abby. <laughs> Why? Because they celebrate Hanukkah. Uh, that's the only. Well, that's how I know. There's, that's like the first thing that popped in my head. Yes. Um, the I, I think that uh, Ann Landers is very old fashioned. So a dollar back then was probably like, a, you know, like a baller. But now, like when she's writing this in 1992, it's hammer time. You got to pay at least five dollars a yeah, night. Like maybe when Jerry was like a kid in the 60s, uh, he read, oh, a dollar a night. That's what you tip the maid. Yeah, it stuck with him. Yes. Also, uh, dear Abby has the same birthday as me. Uh, is she still with us? Um, or is it a fun fact? Uh, dear Abby, Wikipedia. Uh, what so, about Ann Landers? No, she does not have the same birthday as me. No, but is she still with us? Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's a pen name. Oh, so there was, that wasn't really her name. Yeah. Um, and there was two Ann Landers. Oh, they switched them? Yeah. Well, in 1956, they switched them. Okay. Not, not with us, though. Okay. Actually, uh, I want to say that they had the same birthday as me, but uh, now I don't. Now I'm trying to look that up, and it's not. Uh, well, you weren't born July 4th, were you? Because yeah. that's what Dear Abby was. No, no, I wasn't. I have the same birthday, though, as uh, Snoop Dogg and Keith Hernandez. Um, oh, I mean, I feel like if the three of you guys got in a room, that would be one great podcast, by the way. Yes, and <laughs> Snoop Dogg is a podcaster, too. Yeah, is he on podcast one? No, not yet. Oh, then he can, he can get that laugh. <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> yes. Uh, also, uh, yeah, Snoop Dogg has the same, this is the same birthday. And uh, Viggo Mortensen. Uh, the great Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, John Krasinski. Uh, that's good. You should have led with Krasinski. I like Krasinski. 
Yeah. Actually, no, I'm sorry. I think I'm looking at other days in October. No, 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 do you not so. know your birthday? Do, who does? Do I not know? I feel like you keep saying, like, oh, that's not my birthday. <laughs> Mickey Mantle has the same birthday also. Oh, I've got uh, Serena Williams. Oh, that's pretty good. You think I could get a point off Serena Williams if we played like a best of three set of tennis? I think you could get a piece off of her. A piece? Yeah. I don't know if you could get a point. You could get a piece. No. She's two years older than me, though, Serena. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, you know what? I'm wrong. Dr. Joyce Brothers has the same birthday as me. <laughs> Okay. I knew it was one of those people. One of those. It was Dr. Drew. <laughs> no, Dr. Dr. Not Dr. Dre. Snoop Dr. Dogg. Dr. Dre. Yes. Snoop Dogg. Not Dr. Dre. Um, and uh, there you go. Those are all the... Uh, and also uh, another f- famous wrestler, Scott Hall. Oh, from the NWO. <laughs> right? Yeah. So lots of, lots of famous people. On, These are uh, fun facts. Yeah, fun facts. Did I say Tom because Petty already? make people want to kill themselves. <laughs> Did I mention Tom Petty? Um, I'm petty. Yeah. What about the heartbreakers? How many of them no, have the same birthday? Probably none of them. Uh, and Bella Lugosi. Oh, him. <laughs> oh my God. So so many. What a what a famous day. Okay. Uh, so then uh, we're gonna end up going to go see Kramer. We have a we have a break in the smog strangler case, and everybody is gonna go be standing outside of Kramer's door, including everybody from the police, Jerry. And George and Larry David. And Larry Charles is right to the to Larry David's right, to the viewer's left. Yeah. Larry David, very uh, conspicuous, st- just standing right there. The thing is, and we've said this before, you didn't know who LD was then. Now it would be ridiculous because you'd see him, but then he was just a guy. Yeah, he was just a guy, but there he is. Very plain as day, Larry David. Yeah, and, and Larry Charles also very recognizable if you know who he is with the really long hair. Yeah, so they end up going to go see Kramer in jail. And Kramer is like cool as a cucumber. Yeah, very nonchalant. Yeah, he's very happy. Things are going great. He'll be out of here in a couple hours. Maybe they didn't tell him what he was charged with yet. Yeah, and uh, he met Fred Savage. Nice kid. Nice kid. (laughs) I think in Kramer's mind, things are going a lot better than they actually are, though. Yeah, but then at the very end of the scene, he's like, uh, freaks out. Like, he drops the facade and he goes nuts. Right. The, The cop says something to him and that's it. He loses it. He loses it. And then so we see Kramer with the lieutenant and he's just like really beating Kramer down. I like this lieutenant. I think he was actually very good. Yeah. Uh, any highlights from this scene for you? Uh, well, I mean, it is a wacky scene because like it's super, in, you know, it's like really intense and he's yelling at him and then, you know, it's over in like two seconds. Yeah. And it's all over. And then, yeah, they come in and they say, oh, actually somebody else is dead. I guess you can go. I don't think that's how this works. No, I don't. What? You mean that they find a body and you're immediately exonerated? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm no detective, but. Um, I, yeah, I do think there would have to be at least a little bit of follow up. They might say like, we found another body, like lay low. You might be off the hook here. Yeah. It's like, you know, he still might've killed that other woman. Like, yeah, there uh, could be a copycat killer, copycat killer. That's a thing. Yeah. It could be, it could be like a fan of the smog strangler. I mean, it was really like, oh, we found another body. I guess you're good. You're good to go. You're free. Yeah. I really have to question the whole LAPD. They're like instincts. They're, you know, everything about them. They're more interested in, you know, playing with sirens and driving people around. Than it's very questionable. It's very questionable. All right. So we end up seeing a, uh, a very nice scene with Jerry and Kramer and George up by the Hollywood sign. Yeah, this is like a weird looking scene, just like cinematographically or whatever. Um, you know, for it's, it's an unusual for Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. It, it reminds me of like the Sopranos scene where like towards the end of the series where like Tony's sitting up there like by you know what I'm talking about? Uh, no. Like in his dream, that dream. Anyway, uh, it is funny. Like they're staring at the Hollywood thing. 
they really went out a lot in this episode. I, I feel like they, you know, they, they're really like breaking free from their cage. Yeah, they really did. And so they're out there and uh, they're talking about, you know, Kramer should come back to New York. Uh, yeah, but Kramer's got, in, in Los Angeles. Yeah, but he still got the bug. He still got the bug. And, uh, you know, he met a girl. He met a girl, but she's dead. <laughs> she was killed. That's yes. a good line. But we also should mention like the previous scene where where they do the somebody got killed dance and I'm free. I'm free because the murder struck again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you like that? Um, <laughs> it, I mean, it's funny. It didn't really bum me out too much. No, I, I thought actually they did it well enough. Like if it's funny, you can get away with it. I thought there it was pretty good. Yeah. You know, anything controversial, it really comes down to how funny is the joke? Like if you want to say something offensive, it better damn well be funny. Like if because you're if you're offensive and not funny, that's when you have a problem. Right. If you if you're offensive, but it was a great joke, like I think you're going to get a little more leeway. Yeah, I think here here it's the latter. Here it's a good joke. Yeah. Okay. So ultimately, uh, George gets a sandwich. Also, yeah, if he's, he's, I mean, again, is this what day is this? I don't even know. We don't. It's is this still all the same day? It might be. <laughs> I don't know. Because then we end up with seeing uh, Jerry and George uh, back uh, in the hotel room. Also, Jerry is sorry about the apartment key. We have some closure. Yeah, we, yeah, they really wrap up the whole, you know, the trilogy here. They wrap up the trilogy. And we see, uh, speaking of being wrapped up, George is in bed and he's all tucked in. Uh, yeah, he's, he's tucked in and uh, it, Lupe, uh, you know, she didn't do her job. She did not do her job. And uh, Jerry is sleeping soundly. Uh, he does sort of come out from like his dream to say, it's so nice when it happens good. Uh, yeah. Did you see the inside look? Yeah. Tell me exactly what is the significance of it's so nice when it happens good. So it's a it's just an inside joke with Jerry and the writers that basically Jerry was actually the real Jerry Seinfeld, not the television Jerry Seinfeld was on was on the Tonight Show. And when it, he had a good set and the producer afterwards came over to him and, and said, it's so nice when it happens good. And I guess that became like a catchphrase around the office. Yeah. OK. And so Jerry is dreaming about that, I guess. It's just something like that. He's throwing there in there that in there purely for his own enjoyment. Okay. So finally, we're going to see Jerry and George back home. And then uh, George is still upset about Lupe. Uh, you would think he would have gotten over this. Yeah. You know, George likes to dwell on things. He also forgot to tip her though. Yes. He forgot to tip her. Um, and then Kramer comes back in. Yeah. There's a very touching scene. Yes. And he's just like making a sandwich. He doesn't say, Hey guys, I'm back. Like you would think that Jerry would have like, would have heard like somebody like moving into Kramer's apartment. Right. Right. It's also weird because he's in there for like a minute before George realizes he's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's making a sandwich and he doesn't like uh, Jerry's mustard. What's your take on mustard? I just had mustard and I, I like I left over so much of it and uh, now I'm regretting it because I'm not going to have it next time. Oh um, I, I like the I don't I, I agree. Like I like the spicy mustard, but not too yellow. Yeah, I'm out on like French's yellow mustard. I like uh, Goulden's. Yeah, I like to mix it up. Give me a fancy mustard. Fancy mustard. But what about like a like a, a Grey Poupon, like a Dijon type? Yeah, that's not really mustard. I yeah. don't think I don't, I don't need any of that. Yeah, I like spicy brown. That's what I also I think I've never bought the same mustard twice. I, you know, I, you I feel like I never try different ones. Try different ones. I, I think I once read Malcolm Gladwell article that uh, there are like 100 mustards that sell better than the second best selling ketchup. Oh, wow. Because the, the ketchup is all Heinz. Yeah, because it's Heinz or get the hell out. It's, it's, all, it's all about Heinz. Like GTFO. Hunt's is like, yeah. yeah Hunt's forget about like, Hunt's ketchup. Stop it. Hunt's has uh, like 2% market share. Yeah. No, that's like a bummer if you ever like go to like a fast food place and they have like Hunt's ketchup. Oh, if a place has Hunt's ketchup and you realize before you've ordered 
It's a sign Get from out. the gods. <laughs> Go next door. Go somewhere else. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nobody's hunting for Hunt's ketchup. <laughs> if they can't afford Hunt ketchup, they're also like not paying Heinz someone ketchup. to clean. Yeah. If they can't afford Heinz, they're not paying somebody to like clean the kitchen. That's right. <laughs> um, and what do you like? Do you like the squeezable mustard or you want the kind you put the knife in? No, I want the squeezable. I want as easy. I'm like a child. I need it as easy as, yeah. as, easy as possible. But you got to shake it up. You ever not shake the mustard? Yeah. Sometimes it could be really difficult. Um, and and so, some of the squeezes, like you can never figure out what's going on. You have to like, do you twist it off? Is it a thing? And, and then I just, yeah. I give up. But I give if, up and I eat my food that much. If you ever not shake the mustard and then you get like the mustard water on whatever you're going to eat, uh, that's oh, the I worst. Got, I just had that before. It's terrible. <laughs> it you could to, like, ruin your, whatever you're going to have. Yeah. If you throw your plate in the garbage and you start again. Or if you get the mustard water on you, that's really terrible. Oh, you have to just throw that piece of clothing out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and then uh, uh, anything else from this episode? I mean, so yeah, so the, the end tag is uh, we see Keith Morrison again, right? Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess it's worth mentioning that Jerry and Kramer throw each other just to tie it in. Jerry, Jerry throws Kramer's keys. Kramer throws the giant keys, which is a nice callback right back at Jerry. And things are back to normal. Back to normal. All right. And then we see the report with Keith Morrison on TV. Hey, what does Keith uh, Morrison have to say? He says, right, that uh, the smog strangler, who was the guy who was Clint Howard in the car, right? Yes. Um, he got away because, uh, you know, when they were... <laughs> When they were looking for Kramer, he, he escaped the car. Uh, <laughs> and they don't know where he is, but it's been reported that he's a very generous tipper. Yes. Very good. Very good. All right. That's our two-part episode of the trip. You know, I, I don't get enough exercise, Rob, but like the two-part episodes for me are basically the closest I'll ever get to running a marathon. Wow. <laughs> and this is technically a three-part episode. Uh, yeah. That, well, yeah, but we only did, uh, we only did two tonight. Okay. Uh, Akiva, where do you rank the trip for you? Um, okay, so I think the trip is not a bad episode. Do you rank them as separate parts or one show? Oh, yeah, okay. So uh, I rank it as one part. Okay. If it's got the same name, uh, for sure, I'm ranking it as one. Because I don't remember, you know, I've done these rankings before we even started. I don't remember, like, where it ends and where it starts again. Um, the trip is a totally fine episode. Uh, you watch it if it comes on. But there really aren't a ton of laughs. Uh, so I have it at 110. 110. Also, uh, this just in... Football yes. player Willis McGahey, also born October 20th. <laughs> Have you been sitting there Googling on your birthday for the last 20 minutes? <laughs> Willis McGahey. I believe. Uh, what did I, he I do now, Willis? He's, I mean, he's retired. I, I believe his, that he got busted. Uh, was that him that was... Uh, uh, he, was he arrested for something? What, today? No. That was Bernard Pierce. I may think, I'm thinking of somebody else. Uh, I, the, the thing I like about these guys, you probably know this too, because... Uh, you used to podcast with Terrell Owens. None of these guys ever retire. They've just like, I've been out of the league for yeah, four well, years. I'm very pumped up for the veteran combine. That's a different podcast, but I'm very pumped up for that. <laughs> Are we going to do, can we do a veteran podcast? I think it happened, right? Michael Sam and... No, it didn't. I don't think it happened yet. Uh, Dancing with the Stars happened for Michael Sam. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, that's where I saw him in that. <laughs> Michael Sam, Dancing with the Stars. But yes. yeah, the veteran combine. Okay. That, All right. That's a two-part podcast also. Yeah. All right. So... By the way, Willis McGahee is still uh, much. He was born October twentieth of a year later than when I was born, but he's like considered a, 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 a you know a old man by NFL standards. Sure, I think of LeBron James as like old, but he's he's younger than me. Yeah. All right. So uh, uh, as far as we touched on the ways that this episode could not have happened in two thousand fifteen, uh, cell phones would have made this entire two part episode just completely implausible that they would have found Kramer immediately texted. Hey, where are you? Okay, good. 
Um, he still might have been considered a murder suspect, but I feel like between uh, evidence and stuff like that, I think he would have been uh, exonerated rather quickly. Yeah, with DNA and everything, I think he would have been in the clear. Yes. Although Jerry would have never been able to make the trip to Los Angeles because he would have been detained by the TSA after his uh, quips and uh, setting off the metal detector. Well, if you were really being technical, Rob, the Tonight Show is now in New York, so he also never would have made the trip. Oh, that's true. That's true. So he would have never had to go to. Go. So boy, um, yeah. And Jerry would have just been on Jimmy Fallon. Uh, yeah. And uh, you know, Kramer might still be out there in LA to this day. To this day. All right. So uh, let's go through uh, some of these emails that we got. Uh, are you ready for one from uh, Amir? Sure. Okay. Amir is also really excited about uh, season four. This is when Seinfeld truly became the Seinfeld that we all know and love. So one thing that struck me uh, was the lighthearted humor of letting the smog strangler escape and then the delightful dance routine the gang does when Kramer's released. That's pretty screwed up, right? They're basically responsible for a person's gruesome murder and then celebrate in front of that person's heartbroken family. Um, now, I don't think that they're responsible for a murder, right? Um, oh, what, actually, no, they well, are. Yeah, because they let Clint Howard escape. Yeah, they let him escape. They're for sure responsible. Yeah, they There's definitely. another murder. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think of it that way. I mean, listen, it's not the first time. It's not the last time. Yeah. Um, and then also, uh, we have a list here from Amir of all of the murders or deaths that the Seinfeld group are responsible for. Can I give you the list real quick? Well, should we? I feel like it's such a good list. Should we? Should we? Because he says the par- partial list. Should we have, well, at some point have him come on and read the, like, the top 10 list? Okay. Maybe or we we'll- should rank this uh, towards the end of the show of. Uh, all the people that they are responsible for killing, and maybe we should rank the Seinfeld deaths. Yeah, I think that's a better idea because we're wasting some gold here. It's a good list. Amir, you stay on this. Don't let us forget about it. All right, so uh, let's take another email. Um, Let's check in with Johnny DeSilvera. Johnny DeSilvera says, hope you guys had a good uh, two weeks off. Uh, It's good to be back for season four. And so uh, here is the question uh, from Johnny DeSilvera. He wants to know, that uh, I know with Rob's moving history, Akiva, have you ever lived anywhere outside of the greater New York area? That's what inquiring minds would love to know. Yes. yes. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Of course. So Johnny also wants to know, as you two remember, I work at a Vancouver International Airport. Uh, what would you say is your biggest pet peeve when flying anywhere? Well, jo- first of all, Johnny probably has a good answer to our card people question. Yes. So I'd like to hear from him on that. Uh, my, I, what's, the biggest, what's your biggest pet peeve? Biggest pet peeve of flying, boy, um, there are so many. <laughs> There's so many. I used to be one of the people that really hated, you know, babies and dogs on an airplane. And then I got married and then I have to do both. Uh, I've had to do both of those things and uh, realize that it's no fun. Um, I mean, my pet peeve is just, you know, having to go places with, um, you know, family members and like having like, uh, <laughs> like uh, I would say not that there's anything wrong with my family, but I just like my pet peeve is that I used to remember about how like, Oh, I used to just only have to, my biggest problem on the plane is I might be bored. That might be my biggest problem on the plane. I might not have enough stuff to do. Um, and now my biggest pet peeve on the plane is that I wish that I could just be doing whatever I wanted. Right. And it's ironic because now you could use the internet on the yes, plane. Yes. Yes. All this time <laughs> I was flying all these places. There was no internet, no iPad. 
all of these things. If I was lucky, maybe I had a DVD that I had like an hour on my laptop. And now I have all the time in the world. It's like that Twilight Zone episode where Burgess Meredith is in the library with all, he just wants to read the books. And then he's right. like, oh, I have all this time. Now I can read. And then his glasses break. And now it's like, I have all these things I could do on a plane, but now I have like, uh, like a baby who will just like, like wants to turn my computer off. Oh yeah, it's very hard. You have to play defense while you're, while you're you know, because the, the proximity on the plane of the little kids, are, it's like two seconds. Plus now he's going to be taking your computer I mean, I guess, but you give the kid an iPad when he's a little older, I think he'll be fine. Okay, I hope so. <laughs> I iPads hope so. are really, at this point, they could basically do 90% of parenting for you. I hope so. Okay. Um, are you want to get into Chester? Sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, Chester wants to know, uh, do you prefer tucked or, uh, or not tucked? He, personally, he loves untucking the tuck. So he actually enjoys getting into a bed made in a hotel because of the enjoyable untucking. George doesn't seem to know how to do this. Yeah, no, George is not willing. I, he's in a fancy hotel. He's not, he's not putting in the work. <laughs> also, uh, he says that George can find a new cat in a garbage in 15 seconds. Is he living in 1990s Jerusalem? I've never seen a cat on the streets of New York City. Is that a thing? Cats prominently on the streets of 1990s Jerusalem? Is it hammer time yeah. or cat time? Yeah, it was cat time. I, even in 2010, I can tell you there's still cats all over the place. Why? I'm not sure. But there's a lot of stray cats. Yeah. It's very annoying. Okay. Um, also, Chester wants to know, why would the LAPD have brought the aging actress and the Manson hippie before bringing in Kramer himself? Also, I hate to sound like a lawyer, but on what evidence did they arrest Kramer? Anyway, this is an outrage. Uh, one of the victims had a copy of his treatment on her person and two people who knew Kramer implied he might be dangerous. That's all they have. It's, it's also implausible to think that the neighbor... Um, I guess maybe she knew Kramer, but I think that at that point they would be able to like, why when they talk to the woman that lives next door to Kramer and Kramer, who's in his apartment, they couldn't ask. So where does this Kramer live? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a good point. Maybe yeah. they were like slyly building their case, but they didn't have enough on him until they spoke to the hippie and the neighbor. Yes. Um, Chester brings up the missing time in this episode. Uh, he says, Kramer says he met Fred Savage today. It can't be today. He met Fred Savage on the day he met the murder victim. On the same day she's murdered, she's found, the police investigate, they interview all of Kramer's associates. Jerry goes on the Tonight Show. Jerry and George drive around LA. The police arrest Kramer. He's in jail. Jerry and George come to visit him. And why is he having visitors in prison before he's even being questioned by the police? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I think he has the timeline uh, pretty pretty good. I, I, I feel like it can't be today, but it is today. Yes. You know, I, I feel like they, they didn't pay a lot of attention to time. Larry Charles in particular, I don't think that was his main concern. Yep. And also uh, Chester nitpicks. Uh, Kramer brags that he was on TV and George retorts as a suspect in a serial killing. Uh, what about Murphy Brown? Well, he missed Murphy Brown. I he guess so. But he knew about it. He knew about it. Yeah, actually, in the deleted scene at the beginning of the uh, episode, he's arguing with Jerry. Why didn't he hate Murphy Brown? So, you know, so George could see it, too. Yeah. Okay. Um, also just one other note about this, uh, in the inside look, I feel like Jason Alexander gives, uh, a little bit of a cutting remark about this episode that he describes it as he made a mental note when this happened, that Kramer was arrested for murder, that he felt like this was a little bit different than the stuff that they were doing. And he said, he just made a note about it, but in later seasons, he felt like that this was definitely going to be a thing where, uh, things are happening that are just way too out there. 
Uh, yeah, maybe he's, you know, on the anti-Larry Charles bandwagon. Maybe. Or maybe uh, he liked the show about nothing more so than the bigger story. And then they cut to Jerry, who's saying he really liked the story. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of different opinions. A lot of people think if you see, you know, worst 10 episodes lists, uh, this episode has definitely been on a lot of them. Uh, but there's people who also really like it. So, you know, it depends on your view of, ha- of you know, the over-the-top sort of darkness of the episode. All right, Akiva. So we are going to be back next week. It's another two-part episode, but we are sort of on the fence about how to handle it. Uh, Akiva, set up what our options are here. Okay, so next week are the third and fourth episodes of season four, the pitch and the ticket. We get to meet uh, Susan for the first time, uh, uh, Crazy Joe Davola. The episode ends with kind of a cliffhanger, and it did air on one night. So we really can justify, you know, there's two different episodes. We could justify doing either, you know, knocking both of them out next week, or, uh, you know, having a cliffhanger on the podcast and doing the pitch next week and the ticket in two weeks. All right. This is your show. You guys tell us what you want. Do you like the two part episode all in one or should we split it up and go ahead and break it up into different episodes? And the actual show, they did it all in one night or they split it up? No, it was one night. One night. OK, I'm sort of leaning to if it was one night, we should do it all in one episode. Yeah, because it's it's more confusing because I believe the. Uh, the, the following two episodes after that, The Wild and the Watch, are part one and part two, but they're, they're two different nights. Yeah, a little crazy. It's a little crazy for season four. All right, so uh, let us know what you guys think. We are open to suggestions, but I think we're probably going to do it all in one episode. Great job uh, this week, Akiva. Uh, right back at you. Yes, all right. And also thanks so much to Scott St. Pierre, who edits the show, and Mike Moore, who writes our show recaps. Uh, looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say. Do we have a hashtag? Did we say a hashtag yet? What about Ann Landers sucks? Ann, <laughs> Ann Landers sucks. <laughs> Sounds good. How does Ann Landers spelled? Is there an E at the end of Ann? No, I think it's... Uh, well, I, actually, I'm looking at my own spelling, so I'm, I'm not sure if that's a... A-N-N-E. Yeah. All right, there you go. All right, Ann Landers sucks. Uh, there you go. All no, right. it's A-N-N. It's A-N-N. Oh, okay. You sure? Are we positive about this? Okay. I'm positive. Yeah. I mean, is Wikipedia ever wrong? Yeah, I guess that my Google autocomplete uh, has it both ways. Yeah, it gets you sometimes. If you put in what you think it is, it'll there'll be some dummy who wrote it, <laughs> but it's, you know... Okay. Ann Landers, Ann Landers sucks. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye.